Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will use this city as a tool of witness in the lives of those who are struggling to live godly for you. I pray that it will bring deliverance and set the captive free. Lord, as it goes beyond the prison walls, the highway and byways, that it will compel those to come unto you. Lord, those that are struggling, that they'll begin to live victoriously. And Lord, when that race is over and it is all finished, Lord, they can come unto you and you will say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name. Bible says, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and it came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed verse 3 and Moses said I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt for and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. In verse 5, and he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. In the book of Acts, the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 6. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, to, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Verse 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly shone round about him a light from heaven. 4, And he fell on the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecuteth thou me? 5, And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And verse 6, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee, what thou must do. Eternal God, once again, we are grateful and we are thankful to you for this day. This is the day that the Lord, you've made it. 
So we're here gathered in your house to rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you so much, God, for life, health, and strength. We don't want to take for granted that we're on the other side of the grave this morning. And we have a praise on our lips and a song in our heart. Now, Lord, as we gather to hear your word, and as your word goes out through different media sources, we pray that your word will convict, convince, and convert the hearer. And when everything is said and done, if there's anyone in house, in person-to-person services, or even there in the Facebook land, we pray, God, that they will repent of their sins and be baptized in your name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And when all of these things are said and done and accomplished, we'll remember to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. Let everyone say, in Jesus' name. Now, before you're seated, I don't know if you picked up some similarities in these two scriptures, but I'd like to just say this to you from Acts 9 and verse number 5. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I want to minister to you from the remaining time that I have from the thought, a divine encounter. As we look at the text and as we go back in our minds, and and there were, as I said, some things that were similar, some similarities in, in both of them, and I don't know if you picked up on it, but as we continue to minister today, a divine encounter, hopefully, it will impact you. Two words, divine encounter. Divine. It relates to God. It, it's the, it proceeds from God. It's the supreme being, if you please. And there's some synonyms when we look at that word divine. Angelic. Celestial eternal, holy, mystical, spiritual, transcendent. Those are all connected when we think of the word divine. And then the word encounter in the verb text, it's unexpectedly an experience or face with something difficult. Anybody Facing something difficult right now. You're facing something difficult or even hostile. And in the noun form, it's an unexpected or casual meeting with someone or something. There are many, many accounts in the Bible which God uses some unusual means to bring a person to a divine encounter with him. Let's look at the the two of them this morning. Starting with Moses' divine encounter. Let's go back to Exodus 3, 1 through 3. But however, before you go there, let, let me give you the backdrop, if you please, pertaining to our text. We find Moses being called at an early age to become a leader of men being raised up in the house of Pharaoh. He was going to be groomed to be 
an Egyptian prince. Matter of fact, he was going to be the heir to throne. So Pharaoh's daughter, she had him raised up in that household. But in reality, he was born a Hebrew. And, and one day he would be called to lead his people out of Egyptian bondage. Now let me just give you Moses' life in a snapshot. Moses was born, as I stated, a Hebrew child. And there was a decree put out to the midwives if they noticed that the Hebrews had children being born because they were being born in such an alarming rate that Pharaoh said, you know what, if we keep letting these people populate, they will overthrow us. So he told the midwives, listen, what I want you to do, when you are there and you see a male child come out, I want you to kill him. But the Bible said that the midwives, they respected and honored God. They feared God. And they would not do it. Pharaoh brought them in and said, wait a minute, I told you that when you see a male Hebrew child, I need you to kill him. But they wouldn't do it. So he made the decree even further. And he just said, if anyone notices that they are a Hebrew child, I want you to kill him. So Moses' parents had him. They recognized that his life was in jeopardy. So they put him in an ark, if you please, made of bulrush. And they put slime around it, and they put it in the Nile River. And one day, Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. She was going to bathe, and as she was going down to the river, her maiden went and saw the child there. And she brought it back, and she said, this is a Hebrew child. And the, the maid said, I tell you what, she beckoned for someone. I want you to go, and I want you to get one of the Hebrew women, and I want you to have them nurse this child for me. Lo and behold, as divine providence would have it, the young lady was Moses' sister. She went back and got her mom. How many of you know you could get paid for doing services to your family? <laughs> oh, yes, they do it. They do it right now. So Moses' mother was going to raise him, but she was going to always instill in him. Now, if y'all just allow me to use modern-day vernacular, son, I don't care how high you go. I don't care what clothes you put on. I don't care how they feed you. I need you to know you are a Hebrew. So she raised him up. She raised him up. She raises him up with that instilled in him. The Bible said to train up a child in the way that he should go, that when he's older, he would not depart from it. So she did that. And now he gets to be older. Now, the Bible lets us know he's about 40 years old, and while he's uh, one day out there, he notices that there are some e Egyptians, and they are really brutali brutalizing, if you would, a Hebrew person. The Bible says that Moses saw it. Don't forget his mother told him, I don't care what you think, you are a Hebrew. And he saw that, and the Bible said he looked back and forth to make sure no one was looking. And then he killed the Egyptian. The Bible says he put him under the sand. The next day he goes out and he sees two Hebrews striving against one another. He steps to them and says, wait a minute, bro. Modern day vernacular, come on now. We can't be fighting one another. And then one of them turned to him and said, wait a minute. You mean to tell me you're going to do to us what you did to that Egyptian yesterday? The Bible says fear struck him. And from that point on, he wondered if Pharaoh knew. And he left. And it was reported to Pharaoh, 
that Moses had killed an Egyptian soldier. Stop for a minute. You wonder where that source came from? Because the Bible said he looked both ways and didn't see anybody. Could it be possible, I'm just saying, that one of his brothers dimed him out, turned him in to the man. This is where we come back into the account. This is where we find Moses now. Forty years later, he's on the backside of the desert. He's out there tending sheep. And as he's tending sheep, there's something that's going to happen. If you would, let me just go back there for a moment. The Bible says in Exodus 3 and 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. See, sometimes when you get ahead of God, God will allow you to go to the backside of the desert, doing something that really you weren't designed to do, something that really wasn't your calling. Don't forget, at an early age, Moses was going to be a leader of men. But sometimes we get ahead of God, and we say, you know what? I can do this. I can handle this. And in his brawn, in his strength, he killed an Egyptian. Now what happens? He has what we call a oop, a misstep. He kills a man. And it's hard to come back from that when you kill somebody. Because you could be sorry all you want, but that doesn't bring that person back. But that's where we find him now, on the backside of the desert, and he's tending sheep. And the Bible says, and it came to the mount of God, even to Horeb. And you'll find out a little bit later on, this is going to be very significant. And verse 2 says, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a fire, in a flame of fire, out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. My brothers and sisters, I, I submit to you that that was an everyday occurrence where he came from. I always use the analogy because I'm an old Western fan. Uh, they used to have tumbleweed r running down the, the road, you know, and that's what it looked like. So it wasn't unusual to see a bush then catch on fire. That, that wasn't significant to him. But what got his attention was that the bush wasn't consumed. I promise you, some of you don't realize how people are watching your life, how they say that he says, that she says, they're a Christian. And when they see the bush burning, meaning your trials, and your trials don't consume you, it gets them to turn and look and say, wow, what is it they have? Whatever it is you got, I want it. It said that the bush wasn't consumed with fire. So it got his attention, and so he looked and it caused his curiosity to well up. And verse 3 says, And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush is not burnt. That's what happens when we get to the place where we're thirsting and we're hungering after God. And we realize that there's some things now that's different. It's unusual. Somebody says unusual. See, God will use unusual circumstances to bring you to him, to bring you to salvation. So right now, it's this unusual circumstance of a bush that's burning. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I see that every day, 24-7. But what's got my attention that is not 
consumed. And so he turns aside and says, why is this bush not burnt? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God says, you know what? I'm going to let you stay out there as long as you want to. But the moment you turn aside, then I'm going to know you're serious. You know, some people, they get in situations and conditions, and they don't realize the whole time God is there, he said, wait a minute, don't, don't do that. Don't go there. I want you to stay right and keep the course. But sometimes, the Bible says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Every way of a man is right in his own heart. He ponders and he thinks, you know what, this is a, this is a move for me. But if you look back at this account, <laughs> when God saw that he turned aside, now what happens? The Bible says that he called unto him. See, when God knows that you're serious and you're praying, he begins to commune with you in prayer. He begins to call your name. See, when you go back into this account, he calls Moses and he says, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do you know what here I am means? I'm available to you. Lord, whatever you need me to do, here I am. I'm available to you. He says, Lord, here I am. And he said, meaning the Lord, draw not nigh hither, but put off thy shoes for off thy foot. For the place where thou standest is holy ground. Now, let me stop here a minute. You just can't come to God in your way. How do you know that, Pastor? You heard what happened. Once God recognized that he really was ready, he calls his name, and then he tells him some stuff he needs to do. He says, now, you can't come no closer. I, I know you're intrigued about this bush that's burning but it's not consumed. And, and I know you want to know why. And so now you want to come closer, but stop right there. You just can't come up in here any old kind of way. You, you just can't come to me just any old way. There's some things you need to do. That's why a lot of people don't really want to come to God because they don't want to repent. They, they don't want to say, God, forgive me. I have sinned and come short of your glory. They, they don't want to say, Lord, I messed up. It's me, Lord. It's me. But evidently, Moses had got to that place because he calls his name, and then he gives him some instruction. He says, Moses, don't come any closer because you have to take off your shoes. See, there's some stuff that somebody right now you, you got on. God's saying, you got to take it off. You want a close relationship with me? You want this fire that you see burning this bush and not consuming it? That's yours for the asking. But, but in order to get that kind of relationship, you've got to come closer. And in order to get closer, you've got to take off some stuff. And then once you do, now you can come closer to me. He says, for the ground that you're standing on is holy. What is holy? Holy is, in a nutshell, a separated life. It's a consecrated life. It's a life that requires holiness or nothing. I, I know somebody said, oh, God, that's old school. Yeah, it's right. It's still right. He said in his word, be ye holy, for I am. Talk back to me. I'm saying to you, God says, now, Moses, I know your curiosity got the best of you. You see this bush, it's not consumed. The fire is still burning. But in order to get those secrets, you got to come to my presence. God doesn't 
want to leave you on the outside. He wants to share all of those intimate secrets with you. But he won't share them as long as you're not willing to repent. As long as you're not willing to take off the stuff. We find Moses now taking off those things, taking off all the things that the Lord said are not things that are pleased. And then as he took off those things, you continue to follow the account. Then God begins to tell him, I hear the cry of my people. I know somebody wondering, man, Lord, do you even hear me? Do you even see what I'm going through? I assure you, he does. And he will send an answer. He sent the answer for the children of Israel. Don't forget, 40 years earlier, Moses was called to lead the people. But because he did it his way and not God's way, it didn't work. So he had to spend 40 years on the backside of the desert, tending the sheep, learning how to deal with folk. Because how many of you know we like sheep? We are the sheep of his pasture. And he learned how I can really now be a leader. Now, 40 years, fast forward, there he is. And now God's calling him, and he's telling him, now I want you to go back, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. He said, Lord, wait a minute. You mean to tell me you want me to go back to the same people that dimed me out to Pharaoh? The same people that didn't look at the fact that I was really had their best interests at heart? You want me to go? Yeah, go back to those people. And he said, well, Lord, if I go back, what do I tell him? Who do I tell him sent me? He said, tell him the I am that I am. What is he to you? I am that I am. I am whatever you need me to be. And if you follow the account, you know what happens. Moses becomes the deliverer of the children of Israel, and he leads them out of Israel. Now, secondly, let's turn to our attention to Saul's divine encounter. As told in Acts 9, 4 through 5. The Bible says, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecuteth thou me? Persecute, harass, trouble. But then he said, me. If you go back and and, and please allow me to, to do this, let me give you some backdrop on this man that we call Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus had a history of wanting to pursue the people of God. He made it his business to be wherever they were being persecuted. If you go to Acts, the seventh chapter, verse number 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gashed on him with their teeth. And he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standeth on the right hand of God. Now this is the account where Stephen is sharing with them that they had messed up when they crucified Christ. And now they're upset about it and now they want to take it out on him. When he's telling them the truth, and nothing but the truth. The Bible says, verse 57, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet 
whose name was Saul. There you go. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. That sounds kind of familiar. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Acts 1 and 8. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at the time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Now, that's Saul, and that's where we pick up Saul in this ninth chapter. In verse 1, and Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that he, if he found any of this way, somebody say, this is the way. If you said that back then, you'd be one of these that were being persecuted. If he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him from heaven a light, and it knocked him off of his beast. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. Remember I told you there were some similarities in this divine encounter? Moses, when he had his divine encounter with the burning bush, the voice that came from the bush was God. But every time he called, he says, Moses, Moses. Here we find Saul, Saul. I wonder why he has to call us at least once, two times. Could it be because we, we don't like to listen? Now, I know every last one of y'all can identify with this. You ever been walking? You ever been sitting? And you hear somebody call your name? And you look around, and no one is there. Next time that happens, see if he does it again. And if you hear that voice call your name again, you better respond. Here I am! Lord, use me. Stop running. Some of y'all are running. God has been told you a long time ago, I've got this for you to do. I want you to be in this place. I want the glory that I've placed in your life to be seen from the north, the west, the east, and the south. But you're so busy running. Well, Saul was finding himself in a situation now he's not to the earth. He hears the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecuteth thou me? Let me say this, and I've said it more than one occasion, but it's worth reiterating. When you mess with one of God's people, you're in essence messing with him. He said it would be better that a millstone would be cast around, put around your neck and cast into the sea for you to hurt one of his little ones. He said, Saul, Saul, why persecuteth thou me? Why are you harassing me? Why are you troubling me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the ball. As God is uh, bringing you to a place of divine encounter, that's, that Saul is being said, listen, Saul, you're persecuting me. 
And he says, Lord, who art thou? He says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one. I, I'm, I'm the one that you're not giving the time of day to. I'm the one that you're running from. I'm the one that you're pushing against. I'm Jesus. I'm the one whom you're persecuting. And then he says this statement. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. If you are a student of the word, you'll notice that you won't find that in any other translation other than this verse in this chapter. So let's look at the translation of it. The word kick is translated from the root Greek word lekazo. Lekazo, which has the basic meaning of to hurt by resistance or to kick. Simply put, to kick against the pricks implies someone in resisting and in the process is hurting or hitting himself with a sharp object, a gourd, was typically a sharp stick or a prod used to drive cattle. In ancient Greek and Roman times, the phrase was a well-known expression indicating that someone was opposing a deity. I want to tell you somebody right now, stop it. Stop opposing what God is trying to do in your life. He will not impose his will on you. In other words, he won't make you live holy. He won't make you do right. He puts it in you, but it's up to you to perform it. I'm saying to you, when we find someone doing that, actually what they're doing is opposing God, the deity. And if we put it all together, we discover that God told Paul that he was only hurting himself in his efforts to eliminate Christians. He was unknowingly opposing God. Saul didn't have to have someone tell him what happened on his Damascus Road event, his come to Jesus meeting, as we like to say in these days. He didn't have to be told who it was that had immediately appeared. Instantly, he got a deep revelation and said, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? If you never had a divine encounter, you don't know what you're missing. You don't know what life is really about until you had a divine encounter with God. And this is what Saul had. This is what Moses had. They had a divine encounter. And this divine encounter had no need for anyone to tell them that God just touched you. How many of you know when he touches you? You don't need nobody to tell you that God touched me. You know it. it is there something about God's touch? And when it happens, you'll never be the same. You don't believe me? Remember Jacob wrestling with the angel until the morning hour? And the angel looked up and saw the day was coming. And he said, let me go. You got to let me go. Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. The angel asked him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, from this day forward, your name will be called Israel. You'll be a prince with men. And you know what happened? In order for Jacob to let him go, the Bible said he touched the thigh, the hollow of his thigh. And from that day forward, 
Jacob was never the same. Why? Because he had an encounter with God. Yeah, and he, he might have limped every now and then when he's walking, but I'll guarantee you that limp reminded him, man, one day God touched me. One day he got a hold of me, and I had a personal encounter with the almighty God. So nobody needs to tell you. A divine encounter comes with this deep revelation and a strong sense of the presence of God. And it will even change your thinking. We need to think on these things. Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is of a good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, we need to think on these things. I'm telling you, that's what happens when we have this encounter, this divine encounter with God. It changes our way of thinking. And truthfully speaking, a genuine divine encounter with the almighty God will no doubt forever change your life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we recognize that when we come into the presence of God, when we have this divine encounter, things will change. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. 2 Corinthians 2 and 17. In my closing, just to further show how God uses some unusual means to bring people to salvation, Charles Spurgeon, a great evangelist, he tells of a man who once went to the chapel to listen to the singing but didn't want to hear the preaching. So as soon as the preacher began speaking, the man would put his fingers in his ears. But after a while, an insect landed on his face. So he had to take one of his hands just to brush away the insect. And it's just as he did that, the pastor said, he that have ears to hear, let him hear. The man listened and God met him at that point and at once a divine encounter took place he experienced salvation and let me just simply state what has already been said he that have ears to hear let him hear and not just hear but be a doer of what god is saying in his word to do Thank you, Father. I gotta give you thanks. Because, Lord, everything that you have done, I didn't look at it now. I thank you, Lord, for the release of every chain. Everywhere I go, God, I gotta give you praise. Because you have heard my cry. We have been smothered by the grace of God, and it has brought us joy. Therefore, Lord, we was able to make a joyful noise in this city. We have learned to forgive, and with that in mind, God, I just can't stop praising you. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise. Amen.